Did an insider just blow the whistle on the horrendous effects of transgender surgery? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, July 18, 2022. Hi, I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom, and this is Dr. Kaya Kloster and Bodie Hodge, and we're here to discuss the victimization of young people by medical professionals steeped in transgender ideology. So that's our first story for today. Um, the horrors of transgender surgeries and the lives they ruin are finally being spoken about. So. I sadly can't say I'm surprised by this because I knew it was only a matter of time till a lot of these, especially young people who have had these horrible surgeries done to them, and even not just so young, but even older people mm -hmm. that have had it done, um, realize just the the terrible situation that they put themselves in. And now they're suing um, the doctors and the, and the agencies and things that basically they feel push them towards these things um, and all of the medical problems that they now have as a result of that. Yeah, and you know, we were saying this sort of thing a long time ago, like, you know, people are going to regret this, there's going to be problems, and, and lo and behold, that's exactly what's happened, and a lot of times I don't think the press uh, in many instances wanted to talk about that sort of thing, they just kind of wanted to, I'll throw that aside, we don't want that in the narrative, I guess, but now, I mean, a lot of people that are actually involved in it, that actually had this done, are stepping back going, what did I do, this is horrible, what? it's just terrible for them. It, you know, it's something that's changed so quickly in our culture. Like, it's not that long ago when there was a very different opinion about some of these issues. And it's it's almost, like, popular. And so it's, they call it, like, a, trans, or a conveyor belt. And they're almost just, like, moving these people in for these surgeries. There's waiting lists at these clinics. And um, they're trying to move them through so quickly. The story here about this, it, it was a, a young man who became a woman. And he said... They, they pushed a couple times for me to have the surgery and he wasn't quite ready. And then they finally said, if you're not ready, then you can't be part of our program. And then he couldn't receive the counseling and things that he needed and he was desperate. And so he said, okay. So he, he really wasn't given any of the warnings about what could happen or the problems. And he didn't even have time to process process it himself. And he just kind of got on this conveyor belt. And, but the comment they make at the end is this conveyor belt is now coming out the other end. We're having these people that are having the regrets. There's a line where he says, um, when he awoke, he was instantly regretful. And he says, oh God, what have I done? And I just think, you know, I don't know that this young man probably believes in God, but isn't it funny that he invoked that name, you yeah. know, in that moment of regret? Yeah. 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 And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kids in particular have really been trained to, that uh, transgender is the way to go. And, you know, a lot of people are not taught, to, say, a biblical worldview. They're not, definitely not getting that in a school right. system, for example. Um, but, you know, a lot of these kids, they're heavily influenced by it. They think it's the norm. Uh, that's part of their culture, this next generation. And yet, here they are just being rushed into some of this. And it yeah. just breaks my heart to see that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just, and I think what this really shows you is that it's, this is not about people. Like, they don't care about people, right? It's about agenda, and it's about making sure that their agenda is continued to be conveyed. Um, and uh, because if it was about people, they would stop. Because they know, first of all, you can't change someone's gender. I mean, you can change the outward appearance, but that doesn't change their gender. And secondly, that... Um, 
these people, like even when they do get the surgery, it doesn't help. I mean, they don't, they don't, because that's not getting to the root of the problem, right? They, a lot of these individuals have had sexual abuse. They've had um, bad histories, you know, bad things have happened to them in the past, trauma. They, they need real help. They don't need, <laughs> that's not the kind of help they need. They need actual help in healing their hearts and minds. And that definitely, the best way to do that is through the gospel. And so that is what they, that is what they really need and what they need to get. And so hopefully some of these people will. Now that they're seeing that this obviously did not solve the, the problems that they were having, that first of all, these people will be held accountable for what they've done. Because especially when it comes to children, uh, it just kind of boggles my mind to think about governments and parents approving of essentially what is a mass experimentation on children, um, medical experimentation on children, and, um, and just these long, terrible uh, effects that they can have mm -hmm. as a result of that. So hopefully this will wake people up and really get them on the right track with this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and continuing in that same thread, Marvel Comics introducing first gay Spider-Man. Okay, so now I'm not really into like comic books and things like that, so apparently there can be multiple Spider-Men in the Spider-Verse. Okay, so that's just, again, that's my, my understanding of this. And so now they introduce different ones. This one's called Web Weaver, and he will be distinctly gay, um, according to what they're saying here about it, that he will have very, uh, you can kind of see it there very frilly clothes. Um, he'll have Lashes. certain postures that are very considered quote unquote gay um, to again advance an agenda. Yeah, this comes from Breitbart. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I like to do is step back and look at the big picture. You know, Marvel is owned by Disney. And, you know, Disney has really started to push that sort of agenda in all sorts of stuff. I mean, we've seen it in uh, the, the latest Thor movie that came yes. out. Um, you know, they've been pushing it at a lot of the parks. They've been pushing all sorts of different things now for a number of years. And it almost seems like they're going overboard. A lot of people are pushing back on it. Uh, Lightyear, for example, uh, a, a kid's show, uh, you know, is uh, introduced and things like that. So I think a lot of people are tired of it. And yet here, they're, it, it's still being forced onto people. And it breaks my heart, you know, because a lot of times, who, who's the target for a lot of these? A lot of it's kids. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a grandma with three young grandsons, and they love Spider-Man, and I just think, you know, of how they, they find out what people are interested, what these kids are going to want to watch, dinosaur, all those things where they can slip in the evolutionary or these sexual agendas, and, and so just the indoctrination that's happening of our young people before they really have... And so we need to be very vigilant as parents, as grandparents, to really be watching what are, what are my kids watching? What are they reading? What are they seeing? You, you know, when they're on the internet, you know, all of those things, we have to be vigilant. We have to help them because that's our job. Um, and uh, one of the great resources that we have here at Answers in Genesis is Answers TV, and that's our streaming platform. And you're not gonna have to worry about stuff like that on our streaming platform. Um, we have lots of great kids shows and things for them mm -hmm. to watch um, that are very family friendly and teaching them the truth of God God's word um, and teaching them the problems with, again, the evolutionary worldview and these ideas that are coming from the secular culture, how to confront them, how to give answers. And that's what we really want to do is being equipping and educating our young people. So check out answers.tv because it's a lot better than mm -hmm. a lot of those other streaming platforms out yeah. there. Okay. Ice Age Wolf <clears throat> DNA reveals dog dogs trace ancestry to two separate wolf 
populations. Okay, so everyone, they were like, oh, it's about genetics. Georgia can handle that because I, I'm a <laughs> geneticist. Right, yeah, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, <laughs> but really, I mean, what this is, the big question is, when and how did dogs first become domesticated? Okay, because everyone knows that, you know, dogs and wolves are obviously in the same family. As creationists, we would say they're in the same kind. They can breed with one another. They can produce offspring. So um, really what we're seeing is just variation from those two dogs that were on the ark, variation within that kind. Um, but still, how did they become domestic? Because obviously some dogs are wild and some right. are not. And so what this study showed in looking at DNA from ancient DNA from ancient wolves um, that they have is that that um, it's possible that it was choose either there was like one domestication event from two different populations or that domestication happened. No, sorry. No, more than one. So domestication happened in two areas from different populations that mixed together or there happened only once and they came from two different areas. So they don't really know. I mean, genetics can only tell you so much. Um, so they're still trying to figure out exactly what that means. I personally wouldn't be surprised if domestication happened in multiple places among multiple populations after the flood because if you think about it, it's not easy to go, even for animals necessarily, to go from point A to point B. So you can see that happening. I mean, dogs are man's best friend. So, I mean, th th I think those things could definitely be happening. Well, hot dog, we didn't have to say anything. <sighs> no, no, that was never. No, there's still more to be said. <laughs> there's still more to be said. Yeah. Well, and what they did was they, they found these ancient wolves. And so they have um, old DNA. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking backstage a little bit, Georgia, yeah. that you have concerns about. Yeah, you got to be careful with ancient DNA because... <sighs> DNA is not very stable. It can break apart pretty easily, especially after an organism dies. And so they say the half-life for DNA is normally about 500 years, which means after about 1,000 years, you really shouldn't be able to find it intact anymore. And if these are supposedly... Uh, 32,000 years old, which they really aren't, but um, even, even 4,000 years old, like after the flood, it's going to be a problem to find DNA that you can actually sequence and read. Uh, so I always have a little bit, if they were in permafrost or they were in something where they were frozen, frozen yeah. there's more of a chance of that, I think. But, um, but I still think we kind of hedge a little bit on that or be a little right, cautious Right, because it's, it's so segmented, it's probably tough. Right, right. Um, you know, when I think of dogs, you know, they've got two dogs coming off of Noah's Ark. You're going to get different populations in different areas. So this actually makes sense mm -hmm. from a creationist perspective. I think this is a good fast, uh, uh, confirmation of what we'd read in God's Word. Uh, you know, I love a lot of history. And, uh, you know, uh, where I went to college was Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, and their, their mascot was a Saluki. It's a dog. It's an ugly dog, but it's a really fast dog. Uh, but apparently Salukis go back to ancient Egypt. It's one of the oldest mm -hmm. dog breeds. Uh, there are also some ancient greyhounds uh, from the Middle East as well, even though there's places in Europe that have particular greyhounds as well uh, that have some uh, history there too. So some of these yeah. really are ancient breeds. So, you know, not long after the, the flood, you know, people could start doing breeding with dogs uh, from that stage. So it actually makes sense. I, I was actually kind of fascinated by mm -hmm. this. Once again, they get the dates wrong though. Yeah. Well, and two, just, it is kind of amazing what we can do with genetics. We're learning yeah. more and more about what we can trace. And uh, right here at Answers in Genesis, we have Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, who's a Harvard-trained geneticist. And he's written a book called Traced, and he looks at human genetics and how... And the fascinating thing is if you, if you look at what he's finding, and not just him, but secular scientists as well, is that these um, Y-chromosome genomes go back to three original males. And when Noah got yeah. off the... 
ark. He had three <laughs> sons mm -hmm. that started different populations. So fascinating things that can be discovered. That you can kind of trace history in yeah. genetics. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really can to some degree. And so, yeah. but one of the things too, they end the article with is talking about natural selection and, and they then equate that with evolution. And that's something that we have to yeah. be really careful of because natural selection is an, is an observable process that occurs even in the present. And it's something we can see. Evolution is something that has occurred over a long period of time. Uh, natural selection leads to different variation within the dog kind. So we have domestic dogs and we have wild dogs. But um, when it comes to evolution, you're talking one kind of animal becoming a different kind right. of animal, like Which dinosaurs never and been a bird. Observed. Totally different. So right. that's not really the mechanism by which things evolved. It's just a mechanism by which you can have this variation within the dog kind. Yep. So. Okay, from dogs to pandas. How pandas survive solely on bamboo evolutionary history. All right, it's really not the evolutionary history. <laughs> uh, what, they, what they basically find is a fossil of what they consider a, an, a, a panda. Still a panda, but maybe different, just like we have sloths today, but they're variations. different from... Yeah, there's just variations mm. from what they look like maybe a couple thousand years ago. But they found that... Um, so, so pandas have sort of an opposable thumb, um, like humans do, and so they found that the fossil panda had a long longer opposable thumb than pandas do today. And so, but that it's evolved to basically help it eat the bamboo, like hold it, like chew it and walk at the same time or move around at the same time. That's right. Um, yeah. So that's why we, that's why they have a sort of a opposable thumb. <laughs> Interesting. And they insert their evolutionary suppositions that these animals have evolved from carnivorous ancestors that, you know, they come from kinds of animals that would have eaten meat. And looking at their teeth, you would probably think that they would eat meat, but yeah. they eat bamboo. But when you look in Genesis, Genesis 1.27, I think it is, that talks about um, that in the beginning, God gave the beasts the green, every green thing to eat, just like us. And so originally everything was vegetarian. And so they talk about how giant pandas traded an omnivorous diet of meat and berries to quietly consuming bamboos. But what they don't consider with their blinders on mm -hmm. is that perhaps they were designed to be vegetarian originally and those right. teeth are awesome at chewing up bamboo. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and that yeah, they didn't definitely. lose that trait, but they just have kept the right. trait that they were given originally. Yeah, uh, you know, I love using pandas actually in my dinosaur talk because, you know, they have very sharp teeth. They do. And a lot of times people think, oh, they got sharp teeth. That means they're a meat eater. Well, mm -hmm. no, not necessarily. A lot of animals have sharp teeth that mm -hmm. eat things like bamboo in this instance. Right. You know, there's some animals with duller teeth that actually do tear into some meat. I mean, so teeth just like means us. that they have sharper or, or, or dull teeth. Uh, but yeah, originally, you know, mankind and the animals, they were all vegetarian. You know, that's right there at the end of uh, Genesis, uh, right before uh, God declares everything very good in Genesis 1.31. So, I mean, yeah, that's... You know, we expect to see that sort of thing. You got to watch out for the storytelling. That's what they're doing. They're throwing the storytelling about, well, maybe this was a meat eater, um, but they have no evidence for that sort of a thing. Um, you know, uh, I, I also noticed in here the way that they wrote this article. Uh, let me just give you a little uh, instance here. Through its long evolutionary history, the panda's hand has never... Okay, let's just stop right there. Through its long evolutionary history, that's called an uh, unargued uh, philosophical bias in science. They're assuming a particular religious worldview, assuming you agree with it, and then they're going to try to build on that. So, you know, that's one of the things we try to do here. When you're reading these types of articles, spot those kind of things and step back and go, is this really the case? You know, if we start with God, who knows everything and can't lie, his word is perfect, guess what? God disagrees with these guys. Um, so... Is the research great? Yeah, actually it is. They found yeah. this old panda. It's got a longer uh, thumb-like thing <laughs> that they used to, to grab on with. And it's, 
it's, it's not it, an evolutionary change. Right, and the fossils don't show the evolutionary history. Like, that's right. what they're trying to say. It's, well, the fossils show that it was longer and now it's shorter. Mm -hmm. So that somehow shows how it evolved. It doesn't show that at all. It just shows mm -hmm. that the fossil one had a longer one than the ones we have today. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just some variation there for whatever reason. Yeah. And um, so it, it's not helping us know how that opposable thumb on a panda evolved. It doesn't show us that. Right. Um, it just shows us that it had it and it was shorter now. Okay, right. so again, it's just like when you read that, it, what is it really showing us, you know? And it's showing us God's great grand design of yeah. the panda, okay, mm -hmm. to be able to, um, uh, the panda kind, to be able to do this. And that's fine. It's yeah. not development, it's design of it. Well, so. you know, in an evolutionary worldview, they have different models, uh, if you will. You know, some of the ancient Epicureans, uh, the Epicureans are actually mentioned in Acts chapter 17. Paul was arguing against the Epicureans. They were actually evolutionists. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you move forward, there was a, a, a type of evolution from Jean Lamarck, and that's called Lamarckian evolution. I, I don't know if you guys remember the old textbooks, you know, with the, the giraffe, if it's got a long enough head, it keeps reaching up, it's going to get longer. And if that's good, it gets passed along. That's called Lamarckian evolution. Nobody agrees with that one anymore because we can test that it doesn't work. And what happened was Darwin then came along and he said, well, maybe this process of natural selection will lead to evolution. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed in this particular article, they're really appealing to Lamarckian evolution. And a lot of evolutionists don't realize they're appealing to an old model that even the evolutionists don't necessarily agree with uh, when they were trying to do this. You know, they think, oh, well, this type of a, a thumb, oh, well, that's good. That gets passed along. It's the same thing as the giraffe type of uh, Lamarckian evolution. Yep. So I know it's a long explanation in that, but there are different models and right. some of these models have been thrown out, and sometimes people bring them up, and you don't even realize it. Yep, yep. Okay, Biden's global initiative to replace Christianity with atheism faces GOP backlash. Okay, so this is about a program, and it has a very long title, um, called DRL FY20 IRF, okay? Promoting and Defending Religious Freedom Inclusive of Atheist, Humanist, Non-Practicing, and Non-Affiliated Individuals. Okay, that sounds like a government title like, <laughs> for something. Okay, very long, very, very complex. But the basic idea of this particular initiative is to promote with funding, atheism and humanism um, in the marketplace. That's what they're trying to do. Now, imagine if they took a religion like Christianity or, you know, Baptists or Lutherans or Presbyterians or whoever and said, hey, you know what? Let's fund this and, and take this around the world. Do you think there'd be lawsuits left, right, and center? Absolutely there would be. See, sometimes people don't realize atheism, humanism, these things that are taught in schools that are in the secular media that even the government is trying to impose here, these are religious viewpoints. Uh, you know, and an easy way to tell if a religion is religious, uh, for example, is does it have contrary claims to Christianity? Guess what? They do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, atheism says there's no God. According to the Bible, there is a God. <laughs> so you see, all of a sudden they have conflicting religious viewpoints right there. It is a religion. And yet here it is getting funding uh, to be taken all over the world. They're talking about awarding one to two grants of up to half a million dollars through a competitive process to organizations that are committing to, quote, strengthening networks, which um, a network would be like a church, you know, a network of people that have the same belief system, mm -hmm. and, quote, advocacy for atheism, humanism, and non-practicing religious. So that's evangelism. So they're funding a church to do evangelism to push their ideology, basically. Yeah, Half a million exactly. Dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's just as much of a religion as Christianity is because it has certain beliefs, it has evangelists, it has certain ways mm -hmm. that it's trying to promote itself. But this time, the government's actually, um, you know, 
funding it. And, and I am glad there's been backlash. That's really good, right? People standing up against it and saying, hey, you can't do this. Like, you can't, this would be religious funding. This would be the government supporting and, and giving money to these things. And if you're going to give it to them, then really you would have to give it to everybody, whether you're Buddhist or, or right. Muslim or Christian or whatever. Um, and obviously they're not going to do that. So, um, especially for Christians. So it, it's good to see. I hope that people will continue to speak up against this stuff because this mm -hmm. is how programs die. <laughs> yes. Um, by doing this. Yep. So. And this is tax dollars too, by the way. Yes. Keep exactly. That in mind. Exactly. Uh, the GOP in their statement wrote, it's one thing for the department to be tolerant and respectful of a wide range of belief systems, but it's quite another for the United States governments to work actively to empower atheists, yep. humanists, etc." Yeah. Not supposed to do that. Okay. A new look at the mineral kingdom may transform how we search for life. Okay. So this is basically talking about the, these mineralogists have looked at all the different ways that minerals can form. And so this has been spread out about, uh, uh, in a lot of different papers and books and things like that. So what they kind of did is researched all of that and took it all and put it in one place, which is cool. I mean, it's good to organize things like that so researchers can understand it better and, and all. And so what they basically come up with, though, is that... Um, is that mineral, how minerals evolve. I mean, they're not obviously living things, so they're not <laughs> right. evolving in the same sense. But talking about mineral evolution and how that's how they've decided to arrange this and organize this. So it's sort of like what we would call, what evolutionists call cladistics. That's how they, they arrange organisms according to how they think they're evolutionarily related. So they're kind of doing the same thing, the sort of cladistics for minerals, um, how they formed. And, and so then they put that all together. And, and so they say this may help us understand understand better how life evolved in the first place. Right. So they're assuming evolution to make an argument for evolution. Exactly. That's affirming the consequent fallacy. Yeah. That's like begging yeah. the question, a circular argument. Um, you know, over and over again, I saw in here, if every mineral tells a story or down here, three different diamonds might tell three different stories. Hold it. If minerals are talking to you, there's, you have a bigger <laughs> problem. You need to okay. see someone. Minerals don't tell stories. Yeah. People do. So here's what it is. They're looking at these different minerals, they're studying them, and then they're trying to come up with a religious history, uh, an origin story, an evolutionary story, if you will, for those different minerals. Now see, when we start with God and his word, God made the world mineral rich. Uh, God created everything in six days, rested on the seventh, whether here on earth or the other uh, planetary bodies or stars and so forth. God made things mineral rich. That's not a problem for an all-powerful God. That's all too easy. Um, and he designed the world in such a way to make it habitable for us here. So, yeah, we're going to get all sorts of different things. Uh, this evidence doesn't speak for itself. You know, it has to be interpreted. The question is, are you going to use God and his word to understand these minerals and different materials? Or are you going to use the secular worldview uh, to try to look at it? And that's what it is. It's a battle over worldviews yeah. here. You know, they um, found that both water is often needed to form minerals as they kind of organize the system. Water was really important and life. Um, actually, living organisms help to develop different kinds of minerals. And they make the comment that life, therefore, may have formed almost as soon as Earth did. And then one of the paleobiologists is quoted as saying, that would be a very, very profound implication that the potential for life is baked in at the very beginning of a planet. And yet, when we read Genesis 1, Life was baked in right at the very beginning, like yeah. starting with day four yeah. or whatever it was. And they want to, and the reason they want to keep pushing this back, so they get excited if they think they can push back when life began. And the reason for that, and I say this over and over again, because if evolution, evolution is just based on random chance, okay? Random chance things that happen so that life evolved, you need more time. 
because life is very complex. And the more that people study mm -hmm. life, the more they realize this. So the further back they keep trying to push it because they need more time if you're just depending on chance. It increases mm -hmm. your chances, so to speak, if you have more time. So it, it, it's always interesting whenever I see something like this. You know, right now the oldest life is considered to be about three and a half billion years old, but they would love to push it back another billion to when, when the planet even formed, which is supposedly four and a half billion years ago. You know, when it's they want to push it even into <laughs> outer space, In which gives it even more time, and, right. and then it somehow came to Earth, so that you keep seeing that over and over again, um, trying to do that, because they're realizing the impossibility of their own quote-unquote scientific ideas. Right, even even four or five billion years in their worldview Still isn't enough to, to develop life and, and have it evolve into what we have. You know, it's interesting, you said they're, they're trying to point it to other places mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a quote in here from an astrobiologist. Uh, Dr. Purdom, what? What is an astrobiologist? Well, astrobiology <laughs> is a field in which there is absolutely no evidence for, but yet somehow they manage to do science. That's <laughs> what I always say, because yeah. there is no evidence for life in outer space. There's, no, mm -hmm. there's none. And yeah. so how do you have anything to study? I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. So anyways. But. Yeah, if we just step back and look at this from a big picture, what they're doing is they're trying to develop a story, mm -hmm. an evolutionary story to explain the origin of minerals. Yep. And you know what, there just isn't one. And that's why, you know, you just see story after story in here, but there isn't anything to actually go back to. There's right, just, it's there's a chain of stories, really. Yeah. Trying to a chain explain of stories, the yeah. first life, yeah. yeah. Okay, and so the last one here, carnivorous plant that traps prey underground is the first of its kind to be discovered. And so this is a, you know, most of the time you think of like Venus fly traps or pitcher plants or sundew, you know, they trap insects and eat them, so to speak. Um, but this one um, actually lives underground. So it's a type of pitcher plant, it's a species that lives underground. And you thought it was really cool, like actually how they found this particular pitcher right. plant. Right. So they were walking in this forested area and they noticed the leaves that looked very much like this type of plant, but none of them had the pitchers or the little buckets that the critters fall down into and die in. And so they were just fascinated by this, and um, they didn't think to look underground, but at one area, some of the earth had kind of eroded away, and there was a little bright red um, pitcher showing right. up. So they started digging and looking, and so almost serendipitously, they came across the discovery of these um, things that trapped animals underneath the ground. Right, little beetles and stuff right. that, that dig around under earth the ground. Earthworms, and, <laughs> yep. And, you know, having been a research scientist, I think that it's, it is kind of interesting how often I think some of the funnest stories in science come from the... the accident or the mistake that somebody made that came along to be a right. really great discovery, like antibiotics or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually thought this was kind of neat. Now, big picture though, once again, this is after the fall of mankind. That's when death and suffering came into the world. So, you know, sometimes there, there might be cursed design. In Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the serpent. that's going to crawl on its belly. There was uh, uh, the curse that involved thorns and thistles. You know, so things had kind of changed, uh, particularly in Genesis chapter 3. There could be revealed information and so forth. But in a thin, cursed, and broken world, things are no longer upheld in a perfect state. So sometimes it's good to have that mentality when we're looking at carnivorous plants or even carnivory, you know, for other animals and so forth. You know, God originally made the world perfect. It's because of man's sin that death and suffering came into the world. And that's why we need a new heavens and a new earth. This one's cursed and broken. That's why we need a Savior to save us from sin and death. And uh, that's uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. When he uh, died, uh, he took the infinite punishment from the infinite Father. And uh, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection that makes salvation possible. So even when looking at stuff like this, 
uh, there's a relationship between that and the gospel. It's kind of interesting, too, because they actually thought when they just would see the leaves and not the pictures above the ground, they actually thought it was evolving. Um, once there's that word again, even though this is an evolution, <laughs> that it was evolving to not be carnivorous, okay, and to not do this. Um, but then, obviously, when they found the pictures underground, it's like, oh, no, it's just a different way that it's doing this. Within, so, yeah. within the kind. Right, within the kind, yeah. speciation. So. I like but, the way you pitched that. Okay. Okay. Well, we have a couple of reasons. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that we started off with here, we were dealing with transgender and dealing with some of those issues. Uh, the gender and marriage war. Uh, this is a powerful resource. We've actually had a, quite a few people here uh, that were involved in this particular resource. A lot of Christians like, where do we start? I don't even know how to deal with this. It's such a new battle in our culture. Uh, where do we go? The gender and marriage war will be excellent for you. Another easy to read resource. Uh, uh, this is by Brian Osborne, Quick Answers to Social Issues. It deals with a number of these different issues uh, that are floating around, whether it's dealing with abortion or homosexuality and so forth. And also, um, you know, there's so many attacks on children and, uh, you know, seeing the, the uh, Supreme Court reverse Roe versus Wade, I mean, it's just a, that, that's a big deal. But, you know, a lot of people still wonder about a child, you know, there's still so many evolutionary ideas where people are saying, oh, well, children, they're just, uh, when they're going through the womb, they're just going through evolutionary phases and stuff. That's Ernst Haeckel's old false uh, embryo uh, teachings that uh, go back over 100 years. <laughs> But we have a exhibit here at the Creation Museum that is just mind-boggling. We have an audience here. Have you guys seen it yet? Yeah. What do you think? Was it awesome or what? Yeah. Come on. Let me hear you. It's amazing to see the baby going through the growth phases. It's yeah. just it's beautiful. This book captures some of those right. images of it. And we're going to have a... a brand new expanded version of that particular exhibit at opening up this fall. Um, so make sure you mm -hmm. come back and see that. Yeah. Uh, also just um, coming up this fall, uh, mentioning things that are happening, mm -hmm. um, we have our high school lab. So if you especially are a homeschool student and you need to meet that lab requirement for things like biology or chemistry, um, forensic science, environmental science, and physical science, got to mm -hmm. remember them all. Um, we still, biology and chemistry are sold out, but we still have spots in the other um, labs so you can go to creationmuseum.org slash labs or just go to the Creation Museum website. There's an education tab up there. You can click on it. They'll mm -hmm. give you more information on the lab. So we have a lab here at the Creation Museum as well mm -hmm. as the Ark Encounter. So you get professional instruction. You get nice equipment to be able to do science the way science is supposed to be done, which is in a group <laughs> um, collaborative. <laughs> and then we also have our Explore Days and our Explore Junior um, Days here at the Creation Museum as well as the Ark Encounter for um, students to come in. It's can be, this is open to anyone, whether you're homeschool, Christian school, public school. Um, we welcome you to come and join us for those days. You get a lot of hands-on science education, all from a biblical worldview. Uh, we love doing that, obviously, here at Answers in Genesis. We do that in our program. Um, I'm involved in that some. Kaya is going to be involved in that some uh, coming up. So we're really excited about those opportunities. So again, you can go to either website, Ark Encounter or Creation Museum, click on the education tab, and you'll get more information on that. Well, we're out of time for today. Yeah. So we'll see you back later. Yeah. God bless you guys. God bless you.